Well, good morning. Just getting my ducks in a row here. I see you students laughing at me. That's all right. I'm the king of awkward, and that's okay. God created me that way. Uh, It's fantastic to be a unique expression of uh, the image of our Heavenly Father. I want to tell you a little bit about my story here this morning as we start. Um, In September of 2003, September 29th was the exact day. I'll remember that day forever because it was a day that changed my life. I received a debilitating foot injury playing soccer and I could no longer walk and that ability was not coming back. The Lord healed me of that eventually. Um, During that season in my life, though, I was in pain 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days per year. I was depressed before that happened, and my depression took a turn for the worse, and I was constantly filled with rage, and I was filled with hatred. I wasn't sure if there actually was a God, but if there was, I hated him with every fiber of my being. All my plans for my life on that September 29th day, they shattered. And things got so bad that about a year after that event, I tried to end my life. I did not succeed, but I was at the lowest point of my existence. I can still remember the footsteps coming down the basement steps. I knew it was coming. I steeled myself. My mother and father, or mother and stepfather, were coming to confront me because they had found out that I had attempted to commit suicide. And I remember how dead I felt in that moment, completely dead inside. The only thing that I could feel was the pain in my foot. That never stopped. It just fueled my anger. It fueled my hatred. I knew I was about to be taken to the hospital for my own safety. I was 16 years old at that time. But we didn't go to the hospital. We went to a place called Trinity Alliance Church. My mom and my stepdad had started attending months earlier when they found Christ, and for four hours on that Saturday afternoon, I sat with Pastor Rose in his office. He listened to me verbalize all of my doubts and all of my anger, all of these things that I had lashed out at against a God that I wasn't even sure existed, and he nodded along with me when I unloaded all of the ammunition I had prepared to shred the credibility of God through the ridiculousness of the Bible. He was impressed with all of the knowledge that I had about a book that was about a God that I didn't believe in. Above all, though, he loved me unconditionally. He was real with me. He shared in my pain. There wasn't any judgment in his gaze, just compassion. After four hours of verbal sparring, I was wrung out, empty in a way I had never been before. And he sat there unmoving for a time, and we just kind of stared at each other because I was in a very belligerent mood. And he asked me if I was interested in a challenge. He sensed that I was one who likes to rise to the occasion on that sense. And then we're fighting words, let me tell you. There was no way that this fuzzy little bearded Englishman, because that's who he was, was going to have a challenge go unanswered by me. He asked me to prove to him that the claims and the assertions I was making about the contradictions of the fall and the falsehoods of the Bible, all these things that I believed about historical inaccuracies, he asked me to prove them to him. And he actually said at that time, he said, if you can do that, I'll renounce my faith. And I said, game on. So he spoke with my mom and stepdad for a time afterwards. To this day, I don't know what was said in the context of his office, but I was given full autonomy immediately after leaving that place. It was as if nothing ever happened. I was given full freedom. I didn't expect that to happen. I had just had a conversation with a pastor about attempting to end my life. 
right? I was given full autonomy. And after getting home, I wanted to test that freedom. So I grabbed my keys, I hopped in my Jeep, and I drove to Walmart. I didn't own a Bible. Okay, I walked into the book sections of that Walmart and I grabbed the first Bible I saw. It was an NIV Quest study Bible. I checked out, I drove home, I hid it in my dresser drawer. No one knew that I had it. And for the next six months in secret, I read that Bible cover to cover twice. I was going to disprove the word of God and I was going to show Pastor Rose that the Bible was nothing more than a bunch of children's fairy tales. I had it out for God, but God had it out for me too. In November of 2004, I tried to end my life. In July of 2005, I found my life in Christ. And the thing that stood in the gap was God's word. And it was through his spirit that he spoke to me in a way that I had never been spoken to before as I engaged in his word. God's word is near and dear to my heart, church. And as we prepare our hearts for his word this morning. Would you join me in prayer? I've actually placed a prayer on the screen here um, this morning. This was my prayer. I wrote it up at the beginning of this past week as I was considering this message. And I prayed this prayer every day over the course of this past week as I prepared for this morning. And I'm excited to share with you this morning about our Heavenly Father, about his word. Would you join me in praying this prayer out loud this morning? Let's begin. Holy Spirit, Open my heart to the truth you reveal through your scriptures. Guide me as I wrestle with your word. Speak to me and help me to understand. If there is any area in my life I need to repent of in order to trust you more and follow you well, please forgive me those sins and help me to walk like you lived. I trust and abide in you, Jesus. Your word is both good and true. Continue the good work you have begun in my life and help transform my heart to become your heart as I engage with you in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today I want to talk to you about the Bible. Earlier this summer I had the privilege of spending a week as camp pastor at Big Sandy Camp. The number one critique of faith I heard from campers throughout the week was, the Bible can't be relevant today, it's so old and out of date. The number one question I got from counselors and camp staff was, how do we engage a generation that doesn't believe they have any need for the Bible? Even as they call themselves Christians, they believe the Bible's irrelevant and they believe that it has no place in their life. I spent a lot of time that week in conversation with campers and training camp staff and counselors to wrestle through those questions. And here's what I've noticed, though. The adult church, we have those same questions and those same concerns. We wrestle with a lot of those same things from time to time. We gather together each week and we spend a lot of our time together in the Bible. Right? So if you're just joining us or this church thing is kind of new to you, welcome Welcome, I sincerely mean that. I want to introduce you to this book. All right, I want to introduce you to the Bible. We hold this book near and dear to our hearts. And if you've been coming to church for a while, like maybe even a really, really long time, I hope today sparks in you a sense of wonder and thankfulness for the goodness of how God has chosen to reveal himself to the world. So this is where we're headed today. 
We're going to kind of answer some of these questions real briefly. Um, what is the Bible? We're going to talk a little bit about scriptural inerrancy, the accuracy of the Bible, God's character, and we're going to take a look at, at what now. Now, you might be a master apologist, okay? You might have so much data up here in your brain that you could build a virtually impenetrable defense of God's word, all right? That's not what we're doing today, okay? If you're looking for a master class in apologetics, apologetics means defense of the faith, all right? That's not where we're headed today. That's not the intent behind today, all right? This is not an apologetics class this morning. Today is an opportunity for us as a church to marvel, to marvel at the plans and the perfection and the majesty of our God. That's the heart behind this message today. God used his word to change the trajectory of my life from death to life. I love it. I long for it. My prayer for today is that we all enter into a sense of awe and of wonder over the goodness of our God. So what is the Bible? All right. Is it even relevant today? Before I jump into some of those questions, let's talk about what the Bible is not. All right. It's not boring. All right? The Bible is fascinating. In college, I emphasized Old Testament scholarship. All right? I love the Old Testament. The narrative is riveting. If the Bible was boring, trillions of believers throughout the ages wouldn't keep reading it over and over and over and over and over again. We come back to it every single day. Something boring, we usually put on the shelf and we discard. All right? The Bible's not irrelevant. If the Bible was not relevant to us today, Jesus would not have given it to us. The Bible is not a set of rules. Okay, it's not a DIY manual. All right, by the way, these are some of the top beliefs that people in the world think of when they, when they hear about the Bible. So what is the Bible? What is it? The Bible is a part of the plan that God has to reveal himself to us. Remember, God created us because he loves us, and he wants us to be invited into relationship with him. And the Bible is a part of that plan. It's a place where God himself speaks to us, both individually and as a church. And he tells us about himself. He tells us about his offer of pardon for our sins, all right, about the invitation to share his love and his company forever in heaven. The Bible is also true. God is the ultimate author of scripture. He filled and guided biblical writers in a unique way so that they could convey the truth of his own being without ever having to stop being real, normal people just like you and me. And all of the Bible's inspired by God in this way. Everything from the major sweeping themes right down to the very words that were chosen to communicate God's message to us. And because God himself stands behind the scriptures as the ultimate author, there is no part that can be done away with or ignored. For us Christians, this means that the Bible is the unchanging standard by which everything else gets evaluated. And because we believe it comes from the hand of a reliable and a wise God, we believe that the Bible is a reliable guide for our lives in a way that nothing else could be. We love the Bible because we love the one who reveals himself to us through it. We rely on the Bible because we have learned that it is safe to rely on God for all of the things in this life and the life to come. The Bible teaches us to trust God because even though God is infinite and beyond our comprehension, we can always correlate what we cannot see of him or what we cannot understand of him with who he has already shown himself to be and the parts that we can see and we do understand. The Bible inspires faith in the reliability and consistency of a good God who loves us. And God's word from its opening pages to its closing chapters, it points to Jesus. 
points to Jesus. The Bible is living and active. It's creative and transformational. God's word keeps us plugged into his work here on this earth. It nourishes our soul. It helps to increase our resiliency. It helps to spur us on to action in our lives. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 3 tells us that the entire Bible is God-breathed, and I love this phrase, God-breathed, right? He says all Scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament, all Scripture, the entirety of this book is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This entire book is God-breathed, all right? That's garden language, God-breathed. The Bible is God's breath into us like Adam and God. Take a look at Genesis 2-7. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Look, look at the people next to you. Just take a look at them. Would you feel comfortable breathing into their nostrils? Would you feel comfortable receiving breath from them? into your nostrils, right? This is intimately personal. This is, a, this is such a picture of intimacy that we get in the creation account, all right? I like my personal bubble space, okay? I wouldn't even want my wife breathing into my nostrils. Sorry, honey, all right? My nostrils are, are my nostrils, right? That's God's territory alone, okay? God breathed his garden language, all right? That's what 2 Timothy 3.16 is after. All scripture is God breathed. It's the gateway to life. It points to Jesus, some of the most beautiful and descriptive language we get in the entirety of the scriptures is in John chapter 1, where Jesus is described as the word, the word of God made flesh, the divine logos, the living word of God. We're going to read verses 1 through 18 here because I feel like it encapsulates so well this picture of the Christ of God's word, the living and active word of God. In the beginning, the word already existed. Remember here, we could substitute Jesus for word. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. Sounds like us in our personal lives when we give our lives to Christ. John's actually quoting here or directly referencing uh, Psalm 33. And the psalmist writes in Psalm 33, he says, the Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. He assigned the sea its boundaries and locked the oceans in vast reservoirs. Let the whole world fear the Lord and let everyone stand in awe of him. For when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. When Christ comes into our life, our world begins. Truly, because we have a restored relationship with our Heavenly Father. The Lord breathed the word and the stars came into being. Back to John chapter 1 here, right? The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. 
They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word, Jesus, became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about. When I said, someone, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another, for the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. What is the Bible? The Bible is the trustworthy self-revelation of a trustworthy God. That's why we spend so much time in it at our church gatherings. It's why we read it throughout the week. It's God speaking directly to us. In our Alliance Statement of Faith here at Alliance Church and in the wider Christian and Missionary Alliance, we believe that the Old and New Testaments are inspired by God. And our statement of faith says the Old and New Testaments, inerrant as originally given, were verbally inspired by God and are a complete revelation of his will for the salvation of men. They constitute the divine and only rule of Christian faith and practice. Both testaments given to us by God, the old and the new. Everything we need to know regarding salvation is right here in this book. It is our divine and only rule of Christian faith and practice. There's another word in there that I think needs some clarification. All right, it's the word inerrancy. Uh, Alliance missionary Ben Elliott, um, he writes this about inerrancy, and I love this picture that he gives us. He says this when referring to inerrancy. He says, God did not make even one error as he stood behind the authors of Scripture and inspired what they said. The Bible is the inerrant word of God. Everything in the Bible is exactly the way God wanted it to be, without ever accidentally including something he regretted, without misapprehending how it would be treated and transmitted across the millennia, and without making any errors of any kind. We believe that the Bible is the true and authoritative guide for all of life because we believe that God is its ultimate author and we believe that God never makes mistakes. When we look at and discuss inerrancy, it means that the scriptures, in their original manuscripts, they do not affirm anything that is not true, and they are without error. As Christians, we believe in the inerrancy of scripture. 2 Samuel 7, 28 says, For you are God, O sovereign Lord. Right? Sovereignty means that God is in control of everything. Your words are truth, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Psalm 12:6 tells us that the Lord's promises are pure. We receive his promises through the word. Another word for pure is flawless, without error. All right, like silver refined in a furnace, purified 7 times over. The scripture is truth, and it's truth that points the way to freedom in Christ. John 8:32, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We know that God inspired all of Scripture, right? It's God-breathed, all right? And it's useful for many things in our lives, the most important being pointing us to Christ and to this life-giving relationship of restoration and forgiveness we can have in him. 
right? He inspires all of scripture. Second Peter, uh, Peter tells us in second Peter one, he says, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. God is directly involved and has been throughout history in giving us his word. And He's directly involved right down to the very words that were written. Listen to how he engaged with Jeremiah. I love this picture here. He says, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. He actually tells Jeremiah, he says, write in a book all the words I have spoken to you. All the words I have spoken to you. God spoke words to Jeremiah and asked him to write them down in here. What do we have? We have the book of Jeremiah. Those words that were spoken directly to him by the Lord. That's why we believe that the Old and New Testament, they're inerrant. They're divinely inspired, and they constitute the divine and only rule of Christian faith and practice. I trust, I trust that the God that I serve, the God whose ways are higher than mine, I trust that in his perfection, he has accounted for our doubts. He has accounted for our questions as to the trustworthiness and relevancy of his word, even thousands of years after it was written. So as Christians, we believe in the inerrancy of God's word. I want to touch briefly on uh, the idea that the accuracy of God's word is in question in our 21st century world. When I was in college, I took a class called Biblical Evangelism and Missions. It was with a man by the name of Dr. Gary Wozniak. And he brought in a guest speaker one class who had written a book. I don't exactly remember the name of the book. Um, It was back in 2006 or 2007. My memory's a little fuzzy. But I remember to this day that this speaker had asked our class how many copies of the work Julius Caesar were in circulation in, in Homer's The Iliad, okay? There were two examples that he used. How many copies of the texts that they draw the, that they draw our modern-day interpretations from, how many of those existed in the world? And at that time, this was in 2006 or 2007, secular scholars had accounted for 15 texts of Julius Caesar and seven texts of Homer's The Iliad. And scholars believed with great certainty that they had in hand an accurate collection of the original manuscripts. And according to secular scholars, these were the two most ancient works in all of history that could achieve that level of assurance and accuracy. Okay, what this means is that the English translations of these works that we read in our history and our philosophy classes, scholars say with unshakable certainty that the words we read are direct translations from the original ancient manuscripts. Archaeology has uncovered from 15 and 7 texts an accurate recreation of the original first writing. Church Secular scholars in the academic world claim with unshakable certainty that they have access to the original manuscripts. Now, in our statement of faith, we talk about the inerrancy of the Word of God and its original manuscripts. So let me tell you about our Bible. At that time, back in 2007, the New Testament didn't have 15 or 7 texts to draw from to get back to the original. The New Testament had more than 27,000 texts to draw from to get back to the original. 5,300 plus in Greek, over 10,000 in Latin, and 9,000 in other, 9,000 plus in other different types of miscellaneous languages. And that gives us great certainty that what we have today, our English translation, It comes from the original wording that God gave us in the original manuscripts. That's how we can claim inerrancy. Your 27-book New Testament is exactly the work that God wants you to have today in 2022. But how did we get there? Right? How did we get there? How do we get the 66 books of the Bible? All right? In short, man didn't do it. 
God did through the power and presence of his Holy Spirit. Right? That's like the shortest answer I can give you in that. Right? The, the early church used a couple different criteria, actually three different criteria in formalizing in the New Testament scriptures that we have today. They, they used three things, AAC, acceptance, authorship, and content. Those were the three criteria that they used in the presence of God's Spirit's leading. All right? And authorship has to do with apostolic authority, all right? a fancy word that basically says that each book or letter in the New Testament was written by an actual eyewitness, one who walked with Christ. Well, he was alive on this earth. And content has to deal with this fancy word called orthodoxy, all right? Which means basically that the New Testament affirms and aligns with what God has already revealed to mankind through the Old Testament. So we don't discard the Old Testament. Far from it. In Jesus' day, the New Testament didn't exist yet. It hadn't been written yet, all right? Christ was revealed to the world through the Old Testament. And it has to do with this idea of acceptance, Broad-based acceptance where the Holy Spirit led early Christians to accept the books and letters that he desired to be included in the New Testament scriptures. Just as he led those compiling the Old Testament. And just as he led human authors to write the very words we read today. All right? That's like, that's like the New Testament, right? But the Old Testament, right? God didn't change suddenly from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The principles and practices that he used throughout history in the New Testament, he had already done with the Old Testament. And we can trace the preservation of the Old Testament writings throughout all of history. And as a result, we know with great certainty that what God intended to convey to the world through his word is exactly the scriptures we have today. I love this. In his sovereignty... Right? In God's complete control of everything, he preserved his holy word through the rise and fall of empires. He directly inspired more than 40 different authors over a period of thousands of years to weave together a cohesive and non-contradictory narrative of his self-revelation. And your English translation is exactly what he desires for you to have in hand today to get to know him more and to hear from him directly. And he promised it would be so. Psalm 12, 6, 2 Samuel 7, 28, right? We already read those this morning. And never once has God failed to keep a promise. In Isaiah 40, we read, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. I believe with all of my heart in the inerrancy and accuracy of God's word. Empires rise and fall. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever forever. You know, as we begin to bring this home today, I want us to be confronted with the reality of God and his word, yes, but I also want us to be able to be given the opportunity to marvel at the plans and the perfection and the majesty of the Christ. So we're going to talk a bit about who God is, about his character in these closing moments, because it's in my hope, all right? It's my hope that you're going to see just how in control of everything he is. God is love. 1 John 4, 8, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. We're creating a picture of God here about who he is. This will not be a comprehensive picture by any means, but it's going to be a good picture. He does not change. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is ever-present, meaning he is omniscient, all right? Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked. He sees everything. It's exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. Hebrews 4, 13, right? God is all-seeing. He is ever-present. 
His presence is everywhere, omnipresent. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to the heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Beautiful language we get in Psalm 139. God is all-powerful. Matthew 19, 26. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. God is perfect. Matthew 5, 48. These are Jesus' words here. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And there's actually a theological term we use to describe the perfection of God. It's called ineffable. And it means that God is so perfect that he's even beyond the possibility of any type of accusation. And because of these things, we are to be careful to correctly handle his word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15. We are to handle the Bible with care. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. And we are to obey his will as given to us in his word. John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments. Like a farmer plowing a field or a surgeon making a precision cut, the word of God divides. It cuts straight from point to point, right to the heart of the matter. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Church, our God is timeless. Psalm 94, for you a thousand years are as a passing day, as brief as a few night hours. His plans are perfect. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Proverbs 19, 21, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. None of our 21st century moral difficulties or our doubts are a surprise to God. He has established his will, Romans 12, 1 through 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. Let him transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Matthew 6.33, seek the kingdom of God and above, above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. God promises that his plan for this world will succeed. Matthew 24.14, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. Because God has proven that he does not change, he never breaks his promises. Joshua 21, 45, not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Because his word is his self-revelation, John 1, 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. We can trust his word. We can trust him even through the hard and uncomfortable things because he has proven himself trustworthy. Romans 4.21, God is able to do whatever he promises. John 16.33, I have told you all this, this is Jesus speaking again, so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, 
because I have overcome the world. So what now? The Bible's clear. If we want to inherit eternal life, we must repent of our sins and live as Jesus lived, obeying the commands of God so we can have life and have it to the full. The Bible's how God has chosen to reveal himself to us, so therefore we need to take it seriously. His ways are higher than our ways. And knowing what we know about him, who he is, who he's revealed himself to be, we know that to trust him and to follow him, even into and through the hard things in this life, it's worth it. Rick Lawrence said this. Actually, it was quoted at Life Conference um, this past year, and I loved it. Rick Lawrence said that the Bible was written for attachment, giving yourself over to, not application. We like to teach and we like to focus on application, but application is kind of like a topical cream. Okay, it doesn't stick, right? Eventually, it goes away, or like, like, a, like a Band-Aid almost, so in the sense that it doesn't stick. But attachment to the Christ, it doesn't ever let go. You know, I say this all the time. God values our faithfulness more than our effectiveness. Right? Maybe a clearer way of getting to the heart behind that statement would be God values our attachment to him more than our application. He values our intimacy and our relationship more than what we can do for him. That's what he's after. He's after our heart. If we read the scriptures with attachment in mind, application naturally happens. Transformation naturally happens. Surrender naturally happens. Because to be confronted with Christ, we can't help but be changed. When I look at God's word and I look at the care he took in getting it to me at this point in history, church, I'm left in awe. I'm moved to worship. We gather together each week. We spend a lot of time in the Bible. So if you're just joining us, I said this earlier, right? If you're just joining us or this church thing is kind of new, welcome. Everything we just went through is why we hold God's word near and dear to our hearts. And if you've been coming to church for a while, like a really long time, let us never forget the sense of wonder and thankfulness that comes from being in the presence of our heavenly father. God has chosen to reveal himself to us through the scriptures. We serve a God who's perfect, right? And our perfect God that decided, decided for us for all of time that the best way for humans throughout all of history to hear about him is the Bible. The Bible is the most relevant, consistent, and true book, not just in 2022, but all throughout history, in all of time, because God himself stands behind it as its author, and our God does not make mistakes. The Bible has a lot of things to say about a lot of things. Above all, though, the Bible points to the Christ, and it's written in a way that helps you and I attach to him. It's written to us in garden language, with the same intimacy that God had with Adam. The Bible is God's breath into us like Adam and God. So, church, I hope that you find hope in that. The God we serve is good. He wants to speak to us every single day. What I found when I read the Bible from cover to cover back in 2005 wasn't a host of problems. It was life. I found life. I found the answer to my hurt. The Bible pointed me there. I found the answer that I was looking for in Christ. I found mercy and forgiveness and restoration. I found healing. I found hope. I found love. Why? Because I found Christ. Because this book pointed me directly to him. 
And I couldn't help but interact and have him jumping off the pages into my life as I read his words. And now as a result, I know peace in a way that I never knew before Christ entered my life. The Bible does not save us. Christ saves us. But the Bible allows us to hear from him directly. So may we hear and believe and be transformed. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I pray for a sense of awe. I pray for a sense of wonder. I pray for transformation out of this morning. I pray, Lord, that we would marvel at just how in control of everything you are, Lord, that we would marvel at your perfection, that we would marvel at your plans, that we would find joy in knowing, God, that you desire to speak to us, that we actually do hear from you because we can open up the Bible and hear directly from you. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son Jesus to die so that we could live. Thank you for taking the care throughout over thousands of years to give us words that draw us to you. Thank you for not answering all of our questions, God, so that we can increase our faith as we engage with you because we learn to trust the parts that we see of you. Even if there's parts that we can't see, we know they're trustworthy because of who you've already revealed yourself to be. Thank you, Jesus, for the life-giving truth of your word. I pray that we would hold it in a special place in our hearts and in our lives and that through it, Lord, our relationship with you would flourish. Thank you, Lord, for the living and active nature of your word. Be with us as we worship now, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.